Why are we doing this series? Just a quick review so that as you listened last week, maybe you can hear some of these questions answered. If you weren't here last week, you're going to get kind of a, I'm going to speed through this. Um, so primarily, uh, we're doing this series for, I'd say, four reasons. That we bear God's image as sub-creators. That's what we'll touch on today. Beauty and art are a common grace. We talked about that last week, but that's a, a, through, that's a thread that's going through. We live in a highly visual culture. And finally, uh, art and artists are understood. And that's not just a 21st century thing. That is a, um, an always thing. And we'll start to get further into where, where, that, where that lies next week. We're still in some foundational pieces um, as we're going along. So here's the outline. And I've highlighted, we're on week two right here. So uh, as we dive in, uh, and we're going to be talking about creativity and the calling to create, let me pray uh, as we are gathering here. Almighty creator God, uh, you gave us uh, breath this morning. You helped us to get out of bed. And of that, uh, we're, we're truly grateful. May the rest of our day uh, just be signs of your grace to us. Uh, both through um, gathered worship, but also, also through gathered fellowship, gathering around your word and around your table. Father, uh, challenge us. Um, help us to hear your spirit speaking in uh, ways that either are new or run up against things that we um, have believed for a long time. But help us to, to have ears to hear and, and to listen for your voice in this. Uh, We thank you for your goodness to us, uh, even more so through your son, for his life and death uh, and new life that he has given us. Um, We are truly grateful, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. So, brief review of last week. What did we cover? Uh, We talked about why God created beautiful things. He didn't have to create beautiful things, but he did. And that tells us something about his character. We talked about why beauty has a pull on us, why we are drawn to beauty. And finally, we also looked at how artists and the arts matter to God, but they also matter to our culture, and in turn, they do and and should matter to us in the church. If you were here last week, we did a quick poll as a part of our discussion, and we had a fun little QR code that I had Everybody scan and send it in. Thank you all. We had 18 responses. You guys touched on everything, which I think was kind of cool. Had six people that shared about experiences in creation, either hiking uh, or just memories of being out in God's created order. Had some that shared about creating a comfortable space in their home as a part of something that uh, when you experienced that um, impressed something on your heart. A number of uh, people said music, uh, some said architecture, some even said dance. I love that we had someone that shared about dance. But then also relationships with artists was a primary way that people have been impacted um, by art in their lives. And then you had homework, right? It's summer break, but we had, we had a little bit of homework. Who, who, uh, you can maybe raise your hands in your heart uh, if, you did, uh, <laughs> if you did the homework. The homework was... To put yourself in the path of oncoming beauty. Do you remember that phrase from last week? Putting yourself in the path of oncoming beauty is something that uh, Kurt Thompson, who's a neurobiologist and psychiatrist uh, and a Christian counselor, um, uses to talk about how beauty has a way of getting us out of ourselves and reawakening our senses so that our brains can be reordered. So... If you did do that, um, I would love for you to share at your table about that experience. It doesn't need to be profound and emotional. It might be that's who you are, I'm not, but I'm just not, not looking for... Uh, it, didn't, it didn't have to be this grand experience. It could have been this was weird, and you can say that. You can say that to me even, too. And then if you didn't come last week, or if you didn't do the homework last week, perfectly fine. I gave you another question that you can answer. How have you seen creativity in the past week? I'm going to give you at most five minutes to share around your tables 
and I might ask for a few people to share briefly after we do that. So answer these two questions. Go. So does, does anybody feel brave enough to share something that they, they, they shared, either an answer to question one or two or something entirely unrelated? There will be a Q&A time uh, towards the middle of things, um, just if you've got questions that are stored up from last week or this week. But anybody feeling brave enough to, to, to share an answer nice and loud so that everybody can hear? Thank you for reminding me of that, because I saw the same thing, but I didn't. (laughs) Suzanne. Experiencing beauty with others is something that, yeah, it's one of my one of my application points last week and this week. So, yeah, cool. Any any other quick ones, Marcy? You guys are just giving me all of my application points. This is actually like kind of wonderful that you're already like your 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 hearts are already going those directions. But we're gonna talk. We'll get there. All right. So um, creativity and the calling to create. Here's a piece of art. Anybody anybody seen this without saying what they know about it? So this is brand new to everybody in this room. How does it strike you? What what strikes you about this image? Vivid? Hmm? Star Wars. Okay, I like that. Otherworldly. All right, the title of this piece is in French, and I'm going to say the English translation because I will butcher the French. Space Opera Theater, so Star Wars, and yeah, um, otherworldly. This actually won first prize this past uh, winter at the Colorado State Fair. A contest, in a contest for digital artists. This was created by AI. This was someone fed in a bunch of prompts and created this. He never did anything in Photoshop. He had it printed on a canvas, had it submitted. Everybody else was using software, so like he was not necessarily cheating. The, the judges said that they still probably, if they had known that about this artwork, they probably would have said, they probably still would have picked it as the blue ribbon for that. How do you think Twitter handled this? How do you, how do you think people uh, felt about this on Twitter? I can't show you what <laughs> they thought about it on Twitter. Um, uh, someone entered an art competition with an AI-generated piece and won the first place. Yeah, that's pretty double blank. Uh, another one said, we're watching the death of artistry unfold right before our eyes. Another said, this is so gross. I can see how AI art can be beneficial, but claiming you're an artist by generating one, absolutely not. Uh, go, you can go look for that on New York Times. There's a great story. Or, I mean, you can find all sorts of things. Um, recently, I was listening to uh, one of my favorite podcasts listened to with Neilan, uh, Planet Money, 
and they did a three-part series about creating an entire episode with AI. It's fascinating. You should totally go listen to it. Like it, it's, it, it helped me understand a lot about AI, but yeah, it, it's like they even created a voice and uh, it, all, the entire script was AI. So, interesting. But then someone in Forbes magazine said, despite perceptions, artificial intelligence doesn't have a shred of creativity within it. It will never be a source of innovation, but will serve to augment human innovation. Finally, New York Times published something that's, if, if you search for it, it's called, We Spoke With Five People Who Work With AI. Here's What Keeps Them Up At Night. One of these questions goes to what we're talking about. When you see an AI seeming to display characteristics of what would, we would call creativity, what is actually happening? Well, one individual's answer started this way. Creativity was this one thing that I always would say is innately human. But then he goes on to reflect about the very artwork that I showed you. And he says, you know, we think that um, most of us would say that sculpture or painting is a creative act. It raises these thorny questions for him. First, is it that AI has become creative or is creativity overrated. So he said this, is creativity innately human? Where do we see creativity in the world outside of what AI is doing and kind of blowing our minds in good and bad ways perhaps? So where do we see uh, creativity in daily life? Open the question. Any any quick shout-outs? Mike, where do you see creativity? Yeah, science and new ideas. Yeah. Food. Mm, food. Yes, I, I, I heard Sue's voice. I couldn't see you. Food, thank you. Good, cooking. Other, other things. In business. In business? Yeah. Yeah, it's one of, it's one of our company's core values. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, crisis management, that takes so much creativity. Problem solving. I mean, th- just scheduling. Like have, yeah, parenting, raising kids. Um, all right. Speaking of kids, and oh, uh, yeah, Sarah already talked about the the imagination of children. I'm labeling it as unencumbered imagination. They build, they draw, they create new words, they create new worlds, they create sounds, they move, they do things. Everything is, they're exploring. That's what creativity is, right? It's exploring. It's creating new things. Another thing, language. Every day, there are new sentences and constructions of words that have never been said before. Just think about it. There's probably something you will say today that has never been said in that way before. So creativity. Even if you don't feel like you're a creative person, creativity is all around you. It's who you are. But sometimes, creativity gets frustrated um, we talked about how work there's creativity. Work is drudgery, it, is what it feels like a lot of the, some of the times, all the time. And that can zap your creativity. We also live in a very um, overstimulated, oversaturated world, right? It's easier just to sit there and do this. How much creativity am I doing this uh, with my phone? Neil Postman, who wrote a uh, seminal work called Amusing Ourselves to Death from the mid-1980s, said, George Orwell feared that what we hate would kill us. But Orwell wasn't right. Huxley was. In his novel Brave New World, published in 1932, Aldous Huxley declared that not hate, but unremitting pleasure and the almost infinite appetite for distraction would destroy us. And think about the effects on our children. We just talked about their creativity. And earlier and earlier, they're having things given to them on screens um, and are just this high-tech, oversaturated world. What is this doing for their creative development, let alone our own? So, yes, I think that creativity is innately human. It's how God made us. We created us in his image, and he is a creator, as we talked about last week. But then also we're called to create. It's not just that we were made after the image of our creator, but that, act, that there was a part of that 
embedded. So we're going to spend a lot of time, we're going to spend our time today in Genesis 1. And right now we're going to hit just the first couple verses of 26 and 27. All right, so I've highlighted a few words here, image and likeness. And it's repeated, image and image. So some uh, theologians have, uh, way back when, and maybe even some today, they, they were thinking that because in the Hebrew they say in our image and then after our likeness, those mean two different things. And they tried to jump to some conclusions. But really probably the better way to understand this is that they are intensifying. That's something that Hebrew language does when they repeat things. They repeat ideas. It intensifies those ideas. Now, this word image is something that might have been used. It was used for something physical and concrete. Uh, when they talk about idols being a physical thing, being crafted, it's that, this word for image. And then likeness is what, it's, what the, largely the translation sounds like, uh, sem, uh, a semblance of, uh, resemblance of is what I meant. So Jack Collins, uh, our a friend who came and spoke at the Faith and Science Symposium, he helps us to paraphrase this uh, in verse 26. Let us make man to be our concrete resemblance, to be like us. So what this means is that our, um, our image of God is both constitutive and functional. Big words, theologian words. Constitutive, it's who we are. It's what makes us up. God made humans in a certain way, in a, with an intention. But then also, our creation is functional. It speaks to, into what we do. God calls them to certain tasks. So what are the tasks that God calls humanity? We have what's referred to as the cultural mandate. Those words are not used in Scripture, but that's what uh, the church has passed down for at least 150 years is when uh, this idea came along. So I'm adding in verse 28 here. And you see from before, we've got create him so that humanity would have dominion. And again, that's down here. I didn't print up there for the sake of space, but have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. But then with the creation, he says that he, he says to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue the earth. So this, this, and then having dominion. So this is helping to tell us what having dominion looks like. But we haven't talked about something else God does. What else does God do in these verses that I haven't highlighted? Create. Hmm, create. That's, I guess I should have highlighted that. There's another thing that he does. Blessed. So there's blessing in this creation. And this is God's covenant blessing. This is the same blessing when he talks about covenant with Noah and with Abraham, Barak, covenant blessing of the human race. And in this case, because this is before the fall, right? This is before sin. And those other covenant would be pointing towards redemption. There wasn't need for redemption in the garden. So this, this is common grace, we would refer to those other blessings as special grace. This is common grace. This is something that all humanity has blessing. So a book that I'm going to be pulling from a good bit, and I would, if you want to dig deeper into this idea of creation and what we're created to do and the cultural mandate, um, and if you like to read about theologians like uh, Kuiper and Calvin and all of those. William Edgar has a wonderful book. It's on the book list. It's called um, Created and Creating. But he gives this really helpful summary of the cultural mandate. That the covenant blessing of God was on uh, the entire human race. Nothing in culture makes any sense apart from God's covenant presence. Uh, second uh, part of the mandate is that we're to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with our productive 
presence. And Edgar summarizes that as culture-making throughout the world. Culture-making. And finally, uh, to rule over creation with a benevolent lordship. Wait, we're supposed to rule over creation? Yeah, that's what dominion is, right? So we need to take care of the created order. That's what God... And then it's... The language here is of a king giving his powers to a regent, authority to someone that is going to take care of it for him. It doesn't mean that God has given up on creation, right? It means that God has given it to us to foster a world. And it doesn't mean just don't do anything. It means actually make it better, improve upon it. So humans are called to create. We have the cultural mandate. So I mentioned this idea earlier of sub-creators. I have to bring up Tolkien or C.S. Lewis, right, uh, in one of these things, especially if we're talking about uh, culture and the arts. We, we need to touch on, on, on these uh, voices. But he came up with this idea, and, it, and I think it sticks with me, that it really is this idea of stewardship. We're not ruling instead of God, but rather ruling with the authority is given to us. And to, so to think of gardening as being a sub-creator, having dominion over that. Cooking as a sub-creator. Literature, art, visual arts, music, performance arts. And actually, the experiencing of arts is a part of this. Like, that, the creative act is not completed until someone engages with it, right? So art exists because we're called to create it, but we're also called to engage with it. Finally, I listened to a brief uh, piece by uh, Tim Keller, and he was talking about how Augustine uh, wrote about City of God, and he's talking about two different cities, the City of God and City of Man. At that time, City of Man was the Greco-Roman world. And really, one's uh, view of creation of the world informs your approach to life is the conclusion that you can draw from uh, Augustine. In the Greco-Roman world, how was the world created? It was created out of a power struggle. So you're going to create because you must in order to succeed, in order to survive. The kind of world that we would live in is a world of drudgery. When work feels like we're doing this to, to survive and only to survive, then it becomes drudgery. But a biblical view of creation... God created because he wanted to, and because it brought joy to him. So bringing something out of nothing is a good thing in and of itself. So you can create because you want to, not because you must or that you order to survive. Um, it's because of part of who we are. So we're talking about culture, and we've been doing this entire series on culture and Christianity, but have we tried to define what we actually mean when we're talking about culture and Christianity. Have we? I haven't been in all the classes. This is actually the first, this is the second class I've been to because I, I, I'm other, otherwise engaged on Sundays. But Jimmy, have you talked about culture in regards to culture and Christianity? Trying to define by what we mean. We haven't given a definition. You haven't given it a definition. Okay. It's, it's yours to do. All right. Well, I'm going to actually take the, take the root of cultural engagement rather than culture, because I think that we can kind of say culture is all around us. Like, there, I probably, you know, how many tables do we have in here? How many different cultures are represented of some degree? Like, we have shared culture, and then we have uh, culture that has brought us uh, in different ways. So what does the cultural mandate say about cultural engagement? Well, I'm going to turn back to Bill Edgar, um, who gives a very long definition, but I'm going to give you just the first statement. Cultural engagement is the human response to the divine call to enjoy and develop the world that God has generously given to his image bearers. Because of the fall, culture can and has become sinister. Christ's redeeming grace moves culture in the right direction, ennobles it, and allows it to extend the realm of God's shalom, his goodness, his justice, his love. Now, next week, uh, we're going to talk about engaging in culture. But 
If creativity is innately human, that's what we were talking about, then recognize the dignity of others. I believe C.S. Lewis, I'm going to butcher it, but he says that you've never met a mere mortal, right? I'm going to go back to the, the Times piece that they interviewed uh, five people about what AI is doing. It keeps them up at night. Someone else answered the same, to the same question. And the response of that writer, he talked about how the human factor is what makes something art. That the intent of the artist is what sets something apart from artificial intelligence. He used the example of a Japanese katana blade. Are you familiar with these beautiful blades? If you buy one that is made by a craftsman that knows what they're doing, 5,000 easily, 15,000 probably. But you can go on Amazon and buy one for $30 that was mass-produced in China or somewhere else. Which one's art? Do we value art? He goes on to say, the one is considered to be art, the other is a product. If we were to consider something truly exemplary art, the story of the person who made it matters to us, even if we don't often acknowledge it. So to acknowledge the humanity of uh, of, of everyone, um, and especially as we engage in art, the human factor is important. Last week, I already said this, seek out the creativity of others. It helps us to be less self-centered, to experience others' uh, worlds. Finally, if you're supposed to be creative, go and, go and do. Go and be creative. All the ways we talked about. I'm not saying you have to go out and get Go buy oil paints and figure out what you're doing with the canvas. Maybe that is what you want to do. But do that. Take time this week. That's going to be in your homework. But I'm going to jump to questions um, because I've got like four-ish, five-ish minutes and Jane is going to come up and talk and I want to give her the full 15 minutes I promised her. So, questions. Sherry. I had the same thought, and I'm going to say, I didn't say questions and answers, just FYI. <laughs> I love questions. I'll give, I'll give an answer of what I think, and, and uh, so uh, for the recording and for those of may not have heard, Sherry was saying, what about the bird who builds a nest? What about the spider who builds a web? I think that we can see that God built into them that function in a way. And it still is unique. Obviously, not every bird's nest is going to look exactly the same, not every spider web. God gave us, I think, more... What's the, what was the word? Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm grasping at it, but... Individuality. Yeah, individuality. Uh, more license to, to go and, and think new things after him. Whereas I don't think a bird is necessarily thinking, tweet, 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 I'm doing this for God's glory. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah, we have the creativity to think and, and to recognize the creativity behind that. Is, is my creativity innately divine? It's not, is creativity not innately divine? That's actually the point, yes. Yeah, that, I think you've got your finger on it, and that's something that God gave us as a part of who we are. And a piece of it to the birds. And a piece of it to the birds, Yeah. And I, and I jumped to bird song as well, oh, right. so we can listen because God put it in them to, to 
do that sound for the most part. Those that can copy of them are unique, um, but yeah. All right. You're not going to get out of this without having to do some homework. Not to frighten you away from coming uh, next week, but uh, reflect on how creativity is needed in your daily life, whether in your work, your home, or relationships. But don't just stop at thinking about it. Do something. Other than, you know, go and keep doing the creative things, right? Pray about it. Write about it if that's your thing. Make art about it. Make a dance about it. So reflect on that. I mentioned Bill Edgar, Created and Creating. Three other books that are, these are all new from last, than last week. These other three are ones that Jane mentioned in our conversation, so she may not reference them. Um, but you can also scan this wonderful QR code to take you to Amazon and the growing list, all of last week's books, this week's books. So, all right. Well, thank you all, and I'm going to hand it off to Jane. All right. Um, I walked in the library yesterday, kind of randomly with the kids, and picked up this book called Making a Life, Working by Hand and Discovering the Life You Are Meant to Live. And I think um, it was fascinating, the timing. Um, One of the things it talks about is an interview with a woman who's devoted her life to studying art and evolution. And she came up with the five emotional needs of all humans can be categorized um, into hands-on competence, elaboration, making special, which is making ordinary things extraordinary, mutuality, close connection, um, belonging, being an unquestioned part of a like-minded group, and meaning. Um, And I think that's one thing that's different for humans than animals. We imbue meaning and receive deeper meaning and symbolism in the things we make. Um, So anyway... This is an interesting book from the library with a lot of hands-on things, but I'm going to dive in to the organized part of my talk. And you can kind of see that it's neat that somebody who's coming at studying the reality of our history as humans from a completely different worldview stumbles upon truths that God has created and written into our reality. Um, Okay. So this is kind of where I'm going to try to fly through, which is we have an inherent givenness, which is what Luke's been talking about. We have um, the reality that as humans we're made to make, and each of us are made uniquely. These um, artworks that I've made, some of them are scattered around. It's a painting of the shape of a human and filled in with the swirling colors of watercolor that blend different ways and each one's kind of a different combination of colors and this represents how we each are made with a different givenness male female we experience the world in different ways because of that we experience the world in different ways because of our physical capabilities our taste where we have born been born in place of time and location and culture and subculture Each of those things affects who we are, and the world needs each of us to use that to speak into the world the meaning that our art, our creativity, which can take all kinds of forms, can do. And then I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit is at work in and through us. And I think um, Holy Spirit's a word we don't say quite as often in the Presbyterian uh, church, but... It's like the water we swim in as believers. And God shows up with his Holy Spirit in moments of our creating. When we are obedient to step in and do making, um, meaning comes through it. And sometimes we don't know what the meaning is. And it shows up when somebody else looks at it and they receive it and they, it was just what they needed. All kind, that's the gift of being an artist and working this as my vocation. I see that all the time. And it's helped me trust with humility the creative process and know that God works through it powerfully. And it's so beyond me. Um, and that's the third point. Choosing to respond with creativity as worship and as generous service. So um, let me click over. 
one of the books that I have always loved and has shaped me so much is Edith Schaefer's book. It was originally called Hidden Art. Um, it's now Hidden Art of Homemaking, which I think turns a lot of people off because we get this 1950s view of a homemaker and um, that is so limiting and it is not. She's talking about homemaking as an art installation, as performance art, as um, creating an environment that anyone who comes into contact with us or a realm that we have had dominion over, um, what they will get from that experience. It is a really beautiful book that also invites us into the humility of even if we aren't professional artists, we can create things and they can mean something to someone. We can pick a gathering of bushes, a few flowers, a few weeds from our yard and hand it to a neighbor who's been hurting. And the fact that we made those choices from the environment we live in, it's gonna have a meaning to the person you give it to beyond stopping by Kroger and grabbing somebody else's choices of color, texture, etc. There are some quotes up here that I'll read by Edith Schaefer from The Hidden Art of Homemaking. Christians should, in some practical area, have a growing creativity and a sensitivity to beauty rather than a gradual dying up, drying up of creativity and a blindness to ugliness. Chris, the Christian should have more vividly expressed creativity in his daily life and more creative freedom, as well as the possibility of continuing development in creative activities. There is no need to lock up this capacity for expression because you've not been able to make a career of it. Develop it for your own sake, for the enrichment of the lives of those you live with, and as an unconscious spark to set fire to other dry wood and other creative creatures on a finite level. There is a quote from Madeline LaEngle in Walking on Water, which is another life book for me, and somewhere out on the tables is a handmade book that I did with... Um, some of my favorite quotes from that book, um, illustrated, written in messy handwriting, but doodled and decorated for me to remember. And she had, there's a page in there called Feed the Lake, and she talks about us having the humility to trust that we may not be a big tributary into the cultural collection of creativity like Tolkien or Monet. We may just be a trickle, but you have no idea what your scrawled illustration on a napkin to tell a story to your next, the person next to you might be a ripple that goes out and affects and inspires an idea that becomes the next major motion picture and shapes our culture. You have no idea, but are you willing to show up imperfectly and make and trust God to use that? I am um, endlessly inspired by creation, I feel like it's sitting in God's um, studio as an apprentice and seeing how he makes meaning and shows through symbols of the things he makes, truths. And I made a collection of snails and have been pondering the snail shell, which is of course a spiral, which is related to the Fibonacci sequence, which is everywhere. Suzanne talked about it last week with the petals and the sunflower. And so I've been I saw the twisting of a dead tree as the bark fell off and was like, there's the spiral again. What is it, God? And I think it has so many truths for us. But one truth is um, that something tiny that we do, God can spiral outwards and grow bigger and bigger and like that trumpet megaphone blast it out in a huge impactful way. So these um, pieces that I just finished for this, you'll notice that this halo design represented by the stitching of French knots around the person, it's in a spiral that shoots out to the side where I have the pieced um, fabric, which is representing the things that we make in this world. And you'll notice, if you look around at each of them, the pieced fabric is in a different assortment of colors that's related to what's painted on the inside of the human figure. Um, which, just as a little inside view, as an artist, I didn't get all of that at once. God gave me this idea, this kind of image, and I just knew it was important I had to make it, and in the making of it and making this talk, it all clicked together. Um, so anyway, we are obedient in little steps, and God uses that and swirls it bigger and bigger, and we just have to trust that the little stuff matters. You think about 
um, the Lord of the Rings, how big and giant and dark and powerful evil seemed. And we are up against AI and, you know, huge infrastructures that are wanting to undo, um, divide what God created to come together and make a picture. One thing I have for worldview is like um, symbol means to bring together an image, a meaning, and that's what God did when he made us and creation. But the diabolus, diabolical, the devil, divides and breaks apart. And so that's his intention from the beginning, and that's breaking us apart from ourselves, from our connection with God, from our connection with others, and from our connection with nature. And so these little steps of becoming more aligned with how he created us to be, which is human, which is making things with our hands, which is communicating through making um, it's a spiritual warfare that fights back against evil, you know? So it's like that little Frodo in the dark lands as he gets closer to mortar and mortar, mortar. And um, it's one step at a time. And you think, how can it matter against this big darkness? But it does. It does. So gather little groups of wildflowers and weeds from your yard. Doodle a decoration on the outside of your envelope. The image you choose to pick, if it's flowers, you have no idea. It could be like a flower that's a personal um, memory or symbol to the person you send it to. And it could be God like saying to them, I know, I see you. Um, This is one last quote from Edith Schaefer. It goes without saying that the environment, which is you, should be an environment which speaks of the wonder of the creator who made you. Um, Okay. Holy Spirit is at work in and through us. Making is a spiritual discipline. I wanted to talk a little bit about working as an artist as a vacation and how spending my life with this purpose has um, been a spiritual discipline. It's given me insight into God's heart as a creator. He makes with love and purpose, with deep intention and symbolism. And as I make, I experience what that's like. And that makes me know that he made me with love, with purpose, with deep intention. And so I look at what I am. How did he create me to be? Where did he put me? What skills do I have? I've taken an online test called Clifton Strengths. It told me my top five strengths, empathy, connection, um, strategy. You know, it's like input, all these things. And I look at that and think, okay, is that aligned with the things that I'm doing? What is my personality type? What do I love? The Holy Spirit uses the things that we love and that give us life and energize us. That's what we're supposed to be doing. It's like um, God in his art studio has made different tools. He made a pottery wheel, a hammer and a chisel, a paintbrush. Each one of these is to do a purpose. And instead of being like, oh, I'm so spinny over here as a pottery wheel and the other person's like, you know, a paintbrush and doing this, I feel weird doing this. Say, no, this is what I'm made to do. What can I do creatively in this world that is living into the purpose that God made for me to do? Um, creating for us involves mystery and playfulness. And the willingness to step into this kind of mystery of I have kind of an idea, but I don't really know where it's going to go. I don't really know what it's going to turn into. And the playfulness to be willing to make a mess. This requires standing so firmly in the belief that we are beloved by God. That is is the antidote, the perfectionism that wants to kill our creativity. Um, Children play when they feel safe, and playfulness is inherent in doing creativity well. So you have to feel safe enough to mess up, which is another thing we see that God does as an artist. He responds to mess. Genesis 1, and then what happens next? He is ready for this, and he responds to it. And um, as an artist and a creator, instead of feeling so uptight that in order to show that I'm a professional artist, I know how to do this all perfectly, my technique is honed. No, I'm willing to get playful 
and no messes are going to happen and respond to them. Sometimes that mess becomes what the piece is about. Um, I didn't haul in my sculpture that I made of this woman's head and it broke apart in the kiln, which became a key part of what the piece was going to be about, mending it together with gold seams. Um, anyway, can we trust that the Holy Spirit will show up in the mess of our making and create more deep meaning and beauty out of it? Um, okay, and then I wanted to read a few Snippets, I will try to keep it super short, out of um, this book, Every Moment Holy. This has hugely shaped my view of God and my role in this world. I encourage you to get it. It has several prayers that I've found really apply to the act of creating. Um, this is a snippet from a prayer called A Liturgy Before Taking the Stage. by Doug, and this, All these prayers are written by Douglas McKelvey. And um, it says... Take this tiny heap of my talents and my brokenness alike, this jumble of what is best and worst in me, and meld it to the greater work of your spirit, using each facet as you will, so that even as sunlight coursing through a cracked prism, your grace might somehow be revealed upon this stage in whatever gloried and peculiar patterns you have fashioned me to display. And then... Um, I will end with, this is a very long liturgy. It, um, I have it posted in my studio, and especially when I'm making pieces for a really particular purpose or person, I just say this whole thing, and it's like going to a pep rally. I mean, I'm like fist pumping, because creativity is an act of spiritual warfare. And you will pick up on terms like that in the snippets that I'm going to read to you. When you go to create, when you have an intention, do not be surprised when there is resistance. Something comes up. You feel doubt. Anything. There's a whole book called The War of Art. Um, it's not specifically Christian, but he talks about the spiritual goodness of making and the evil reality in the world that is against that and will come up with resistance every time. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm going to read a little bit of what happens before this part. Breathe, O God, into my lifeless work that they might somehow hold in their feeble forms such angles and fragments and rumors of the fire of the glory that is already made ready and waiting to burst forth from the seams of creation's old garment when you but speak the word and all things sin-soaked and subject to futility will suddenly be unsodden and revealed in their truer forms in the new turning of the light, now resurrected, now shed of the great groan of the world, now displaying in full measure the glory they were intended to hold at their first crafting. That gives me so much hope. When I have a vision and I go to make it, and what I end up with at the end can break my heart because it does not come anywhere close to what I could picture. It gives me hope that there's still something in that, that one day is going to be shown in its full measure, and the Holy Spirit can whisper when people interact with what I've made the full measure of what was in my heart and my intention. Um, I'm trying to skip through. There's so much goodness in here. Um, yeah, and Let's see. For the offering of arts and eloquent objects which whisper to the souls of their beholders stirrings of eternal things that words cannot convey. To all who traffic in the crafting of such elements, which all of y'all are going to do this week if you do your homework, <laughs> those hours and labors are not lost. We have an idol of efficiency, don't we? Those hours and labors are not lost. What you have worked is more than it now seems. The economy of creation is backloaded and sits on springs. What you have made will one day be unveiled, unleashed, take wing, or glow with glory coursing from that cracked chrysalis you had fashioned in defiance of the deep shadows of this age. And in that turning of the page, we will raise our voices in chorus and say, 
Will you all say this with me? In defiance of the curse, we have been rehearsing all along the new creation in the making of these things. May my making now be rendered as an act of worship, O oh God. All right. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, how I hope, I think Luke's going to talk about this more, so I'm just going to put my, I believe in this, just an invitation to rethink our approach to um, interacting with the arts instead of seeing it as a product and a commodity, how much is it worth, see it as going back to like middle ages, the patron model, whose work is needed in this world and what can I do to support them? And some of that could be financially paying for something, even though you could get it for one-tenth of the price somewhere else, paying for it because you want to give this person a livelihood. It could be as simple as on social media, liking what they post and putting a comment and sharing it. Those help the algorithm actually show their work into the world. And mostly just praying for and telling people that their work matters because um, in Genesis 1, it's making. We're made in the image of a maker, but we're also made in the image of somebody who communicates and connects. That's a givenness in that first bit we hear about God because we're reading it we see that he's communicating with us and he's connected within himself. So that's a huge part of making. It is a communication for connecting. Um, and as artists, we need to hear that our communication is not stillborn. So um, that's what I want to leave you all with. Thank you for the time. Thank you, Jane. All right. Um, in the name of patronage, we have a gift for you, the prayer that uh, Jane just uh, shared with us, I purchased copies for all of you to take and have with you and to hold on to. Um, and uh, I'm just going to set these on the table rather than trying to put one in all of your hands. You can take a couple. I printed way too many. Um, and I'll have them for next week in case you lose it or put spell coffee on it. Um, but we are um, headed down to church. We're going to start in seven minutes. So um, Jane has prayed us out. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>